On today's show, we're going to start with a brand new series called Core Strategies, and we're going to start with running a demand service call, part one. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Now, before we get started with today's content, I want to throw out a special offer to all of you non-EGIA members. Click the Join button at the top right, then select the Plus Membership. We'll give you access to the full courses so you can start to take your business to the next level. You know, every week here at Contract University, we get questions from viewers like you, and I want to share one that just came in because I think it's really interesting. We are a service-heavy company, and we're not seeing the profits that I would hope we would see. What are the core strategies that work in all markets that I need to have in place in my business? This is a great question, and over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to discuss a number of strategies designed to address this very question. Right? Because what works in one area in the core strategies should work in every area. There may be some tweaks you have to do depending on your weather, your seasons, and that type of thing. But the core selling strategies will always work. Some of the top strategies we're going to talk about are selling service agreements, a formal sales process, a perfect service call process, uh, and financial structure that ensures we can accurately measure our performance and an integrated marketing plan that drives the opportunities in all of these areas. Now, to start addressing this question, I want to share some information with you from Gary Ellix. He's going to talk about three parts of this process. Number one, focusing on the customer. Number two, earning the right to advance to the next stage in the sales process. And number three, persuading by involvement. Join us now and watch you, Mr. Gary Ellix. So welcome back to the Whiteboard Learning Lab. We're going to have this entire chart. We're going to go through a lot of discussions. I'm going to start off with number one here, which are the three philosophies of understanding sales process. So these are the always on switch that you've heard me talk about. They are the guiding principles for how we're going to do business as a professional. So the first one is we're going to focus on the client. We're always going to focus on their agenda. If we focus on our agenda, what we're going to be doing is we're going to come off as that pressure that we talked about, that idea that I'm promoting something, and therefore you, on the other hand, are listening and feeling the idea that I am promoting that. What we want to be doing is we want to have a conversation, and the most important part of that is you need to understand that how you control the sales process, the number one method that you use to control the sales process, is by asking questions. So we're going to ask questions, and we're going to listen, and we're going to understand and interpret. So we've had videos where we talked about good understanding, good communication, and that the basis of that is that both parties have a mutually agreed upon understanding, and that's where we get into that checking and confirming. So that's step four and step five in the sales process. But it's important that you understand that focusing on the client's agenda doesn't mean that you don't communicate solutions. It just simply means that you're philosophically approaching the idea that you're engaged with the consumer to help them solve their problems, which means we have to identify what they need, what they want, maybe what they desire, their interests, not necessarily our interests. So the other thing I would have you write down just as a journal entry for your training purposes is you're going to get what you want in life or you're going to get what you want in sales by helping other people get what they want. So by identifying their problems, their issues, their needs, their wants and desires, and you figuring out a way to solve those potential problems with solutions, you will get what you want because by solving those particular problems, obviously there's a transaction that occurs. 
And in some cases, there might not be a transaction. It might just be a service agreement, or it might be doing maintenance on a service agreement. So it doesn't mean we're selling something, but the transaction does always include the company deliverable as a brand experience. Remember, you are a brand. You are personally responsible for your own reputation, your own brand, and therefore also the company's brand by extension. The second issue is we want to earn the right to advance the sales process. Earning the right to advance the sales process is about manners, courtesy, propriety, and just understanding that while you're in control of the sales process through questioning, your job is still to ask permission. Would it be okay if I asked you a few questions about what's going on you know, inside of the total comfort system? Would it be okay with you if I spend a little time and explain to you what we're going to do today? That's the purpose process payoff statement. So earning the right to advance says what it does is actually it screams that you are not going to take for granted that you have the right or are entitled to any information from a client. You're not. So what happens is there are adversarial customers. There are customers that are in the direct quadrant. There are customers that are agitated. They're unhappy. There's anxiety involved in this process. They didn't get up this morning and wish for a failed condenser fan motor at 115 degrees. So they're not in a good place. Because they're not in a good place, they may not be friendly to you. So one of the things that we need to do is recognize that earning the right to advance says, I'm going to be deferential to you. I'm going to be professional, but I'm going to ask permission before I actually ask you questions. I'm going to ask permission before I delve into the details of what's going on. That's total comfort systems. That's budget. That's lifestyle. That's how you live in the home. It's everything. The third area that is always on, again, these are philosophies, is we're going to persuade by involving the client. You cannot uh, sell something to somebody or create an environment where somebody is going to be educated and then purchase. Again, we're not really selling. What we're doing is we're educating, we're having a conversation, and we're putting people in a position to be educated and informed so that they can actually make a purchase decision. Give them the keys to the car, if you will, to make the decision. The way you do that best is persuading them by involving them. When they're involved in the conversation, and they have a stakeholder relationship in the conversation, and they actually are being educated and informed, they tend to feel much more comfortable turning loose of their money. So there's an old philosophy in leadership and management, which is you have to touch people's hearts before you can touch their wallets. This is a perfect example of getting somebody involved, and as you involve them in the process, they begin to engage. When they engage, there's opportunities for you to talk about needs, wants, and desires, potential solutions that fit, you get what you want by helping them get what they want. They're actually happier, believe it or not. They can spend more money with you, and they actually become happier. So it isn't about selling. It's about understanding how the sales process works. So we're not selling. It's a sales process. The sales process is interdependent on these three principles. So you need to make sure you write those down. Those are your guiding philosophies. We always focus on the client's agenda. We always earn the right to advance with courtesy, manners, respect, propriety. And we're always going to be in a position where we try to involve the customer. Now, if the customer doesn't want to be involved, that's OK. You've given the opportunity for them to be involved. And there will be certain social styles that won't be. So that is number one on our fundamentals of selling process. So communication, obviously, is going to be supportive of this. Your ability to communicate well is going to be a huge factor in your long-term prosperity. You know, building an exceptional customer experience starts with how the customer feels. 
the reality is making them comfortable really is part of the process. Now, I want to talk to you about very briefly here where the start. It starts with, and I'm going to say this very uh, quickly one time because you can't say it three times quickly. This starts with the purpose process payoff plan. Let's join Gary Ellis once again as he talks about this concept. So the second part of the sales process, fundamentals-wise, is what we call the purpose process payoff statement. That's your ability to enter the call as a service technician or as a sales professional or a maintenance technician. It does not matter. But you are establishing the idea that you have a plan. If it's OK with you, Mr. Gary, what I'd like to do now is just maybe explain to you how the process will go what I intend to do you know, on the service call today, or what I intend to do in order to diagnose what's going on with your total comfort system. You're establishing the purpose, you're giving them the process, and there will be a payoff statement there. So if it's okay with you, what I'd like to do is explain what we're gonna do today. What I'd like to do is take a look at your equipment, I'd like to spend a little time. I'm gonna have to spend probably about 30 minutes putting my system gauges on, I have to diagnose what's going on with the problem. And then if it's okay with you, uh, first of all, you're welcome to join me if you like, but if not, I'd like to get back together with you and before I execute any repairs, make certain that you're comfortable with that, you understand the price, you understand what the problems are, etc. So I can't proceed without that. Would that be okay with you? So there's a purpose, process, payoff statement that's established. Now you need to put your social style, you need to put your charisma, you need to put your imprint on that, but without that, that doesn't give the customer a plan. And the customer then is wondering, well, you know, how's this bill going to work? You know, is it time and material? What's going on? Uh, every time you're moving around or you have to go to the vehicle to get a tool, what they're thinking is that the clock is running. And so they're thinking about the egg timer and the attorney. And this is just costing me more and more money. So, but as we all know, with flat rate, that's not true. So your only obligation, Mrs. Jones or Mr. Gary, is, you know, for the $49 diagnostic fee, I need you to make sure that before we move forward, before any expense is established, that you approve that, you understand it exactly what's going on, and that you're comfortable. Would that be okay with you? So the purpose process payoff statement is your entry into the process of fully diagnosing the system. Now it's also important that you recognize as a professional technician, and this is a mistake that a lot of service technicians make, especially the young ones. We get busy, you get a dispatcher that's pretty aggressive, we got 12 calls stacked. You know it. You're not supposed to know it, but you do. And so what happens is we do not perform a full diagnostic analysis on the system. And we end up seeing a leak. We identify that. We get the customer involved. We create the repair. But it turns out that there might have been other issues relative to that system. So if we go back into the dialogue, uh, Wally talks about this a lot in his sales training videos, is that if you went to the doctor and you had a shoulder injury, I've got a little nerve issue over here, a little workout nerve impingement, overdeveloping, underdeveloping the muscles. I've got a little soreness in here. I go to the doctor. I find out that you know, I've got this problem. The doctor says, well, let's take a look at you know, the whole thing. So he can say, scan over me and say, well, you, know, you look like you have some arthritis down here in your leg. And you go, OK, well, that's nice. And he tells you about that, and you deal with it. Or what if he knew about that and didn't tell you about that? And so later you find out that that's a problem for you. That's going to create a problem for the brand experience. So when you're doing your diagnostic, you need to make sure that you give them a full understanding of what's going on with their total comfort system. You're, you might spend three hours at a call. You might spend two to three hours on a maintenance ticket. It's okay for you to do that. 
going over the system in fine-tooth detail and identifying all the potential areas of what's going on relative to the potential repairs is precisely what we're supposed to do. So running a great call is more important than running a lot of good calls. A great call, your average ticket is going to be higher. And so part of the understanding of maintenance, part of the understanding of understanding what we're doing as a professional is that the purpose process payoff statement sets up the idea that I'll communicate with you everything that's going on with your system and then it's really kind of up to you to decide what we decide to do here. So you're going to inst uh, inspire a plan, but you're also inspiring a confidence level from the homeowner that you're going to give them everything they need to know in order to make an informed decision and that they're in charge and you don't go forward without them making sure that they've approved that. Now you've got to ask yourself this question, what does it look like to be a true professional? Well, we're going to turn once again to Gary Ellix as he talks about what are the characteristics of a stone-cold professional. The third part of this discussion, this brings us to sort of the meat and potatoes. Philosophically, process step one, process step two. This is meat and potatoes right here. So this is literally the steak. This is how you behave. So I can't emphasize enough that you're going to need to internalize the idea that there is a conversation going on here. This is a discussion. This whole discussion has a tone to it. Communication. So I don't like you very much because you didn't say my name this morning on my Starbucks cup is going to be a problem. Or I, I'm very comfortable with you because you treated me with respect. Two different tones. So your tone, your approach to the conversation matters. How you behave matters. This is a structural issue for how you're going to behave as a service technician. The best, the greatest sales personnel ever are always in a position where the people on the other side of the equation trust and feel a likability towards their social style. So let's break this down on how we're going to have the best conversation. Number one, propriety. Okay, propriety is professionalism organization. It's your look, it's your dress, it's are you organized, it is your demeanor, it's your confidence level, it is your ability to be polite, mannerly, courteous, on time, respectful. It's all of those things, propriety. It's basically what sets you apart in the universe as being a professional service technician. Now, you can call that whatever you want, but at the end of the day, this is inspiring to people because you feel like you've got an organization. I'm having an air conditioning call done on my house today. It's Monday. I'm in World Headquarters, EGIA, Contractor University, shooting this video. Called home, asked today, How the, how's the air conditioning call going? And the answer was this, I have no idea. And I'm like, oh, really? And the answer was, yeah, they haven't called me. Um, I called them. I'm on the schedule, but they won't tell me when they're coming, so I don't really know what's going on. Now, I'm not naming that company, but I'm telling you right now, that is an assault on the company's brand and the propriety. The, the attitude of the individual was, I don't really like that company right now. They suck. That was the exact words. They suck. You haven't even got there yet and the customer is already saying, you suck as a brand. So you're in a hostile environment as a technician. 
when you arrive on that, your process better be pretty good right here because you're going to have to disable the negativity that's occurred because the company's processes aren't good. Nobody's called this morning. Nobody has set a schedule. There wasn't a time given. The customer doesn't feel any organization. The customer doesn't feel any professionalism. So right now, the company is sabotaging the technician's sales process. I kind of feel sorry for the service technician, to be honest with you, in this situation. So it's a team effort. The company and the brand experience has to be defined as a deliverable, and then we got to support the technician. So listen, I, I feel bad for the tech, because when he gets there, he's going to have a level of animosity that exists, already that hostility. And that could have been avoided. And so this is important from a propriety point of view to realize that the company hasn't supported you, but you still got to do your job. So you got you to walk that person off the ledge. So um, I already know what the problem is because I already took a look at the system. And so it needs, there's a leak and uh, it needs some refrigerant added and it needs to be repaired. And so the other comment that was made this weekend is, why can't manufacturers build air conditioners that don't leak? Every system we've ever had, ever, this is my wife talking about Gary and his life, has leaked. And I said, well, some of the systems leak right away and some of them leak over time, but essentially, you know, it's a mechanical system. So eventually there's going to be failures of some portion. And her comment was, well, why, is it, why doesn't it happen to cars? Why do car manufacturers have the ability to build air conditioning systems that don't have leaks and they have a sealed system? And I said, that's a great question. That's why we sell different products. That's why we choose the different quality products. Great opportunity to have a dialogue to involve the customer. Can you imagine that conversation with that individual and say, well, they absolutely should be able to do that. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we market XYZ air conditioning, or we do private label, or we have a lifetime guarantee. So even if it does happen to you, you won't have to worry about that. So turning the customer's animosity into a positive is absolutely available to the technician if you're trained and if you understand the nature of walking the customer off the ledge and you don't react negatively to the idea. Negative, okay, so I'm gonna write something down here. Life is 90% how you react to the 10% that happens to you. You have to decide what kind of propriety you're going to have as a technician. Number two on that list, social styles. Understanding who your customer is, driver, expressive, amiable, analytical. So there's a detailed video on that. Not going to spend a lot of time on that, but you need to understand that your presentation system down here, no assumptions, mentally be present and understand who you're doing business with, recognizing that in this case, you're dealing business with an amiable amiable. So you need to understand that social style requires no conflict, lots of communication, checking, confirming, understanding. So that being said, Make sure you understand and internalize the social styles so that as you create your presentation and collateral materials that we look at, you understand that you don't want to be boring people. Uh, drivers probably aren't going to be that interested in seeing a lot of detail. Analyticals may want more detail and so forth. So understanding the sales process as professionalism and then understanding the human side of that makes your professionalism that much better. Third, encouraging. I can't think of a better place where encouragement will matter when that technician arrives at my house today. He's going to have the opportunity to encourage 
and to be able to turn that into a positive, especially from the standpoint of the, the company didn't support him, he has a great opportunity to be able to say, yes, uh, we're very sorry about that. We should have done that. Um, it's just only the right thing to do. And so I'll make sure that your feedback gets transferred back to the organization. And here's what I'd like to do with you today, Mrs. Jones. And so the encouraging side of that is I've got the purpose process payoff statement. I've got a plan. I'm inspiring confidence that while my organization didn't look real good on the first pass, maybe there's an opportunity for me to reestablish the idea that I am going to take care of you and I am the point person and I am the brand experience right now for the company. I got this. Okay? So I don't know if that will happen or not, but that opportunity exists. The ability to encourage the client establishes the likability of the technician. When you are encouraging to me, I like you. If you're not encouraging to me, then this negativity that exists is allowed to maintain itself and fester. So what we want is we want to be inspiring. We want to make sure that the client understands what we're going to do. We want to have charisma. We want to be on our game. We got to remember that we're in a position to influence people. 90% of how we do it is a reaction to the 10% that happens to us. Negativity can be turned into a constructive conversation if you're prepared for it, if you understand how to do it, if you've role played it, if you're in a position where you realize that your sales process is going to be a better outcome for you if you understand the three components here of how to get along with people. Okay, That's all it is. It's getting along with people. Now, if you're good at that, that's intuitive. If you're not good at that, it's a skill set that you can develop and practice. The fourth area where the game is generally played in terms of the control of a sales process is the questioning process. So I have listed 10 questions over here for you. Uh, I'm not saying these are the right questions. I'm not saying that they're the only questions. I'm just giving you an example of there are high gain questions, there are targeted questions, and then there are closed ended questions. High gain questions are open-ended, intellectual, they make you think, they make you challenge the individual who you're asking the question to, to process. It's not something that there's a predetermined answer, they have to think about it, you can see the wheels turning. A targeted question is an answer to the specific question, such as which type of thermostat do you prefer? Do you prefer the blue one or the red one? And so there's a specific answer, it's very targeted. You know, so, um, when did you move into your house is a targeted question. 1999, 2017. It's a very specific question that gets a very specific answer that is not a yes or a no. The closed-ended questions are the yes-no questions. They're what we call the transition questions. They move us into the next phase of a conversation. You know, so would it be okay with you if I actually explained what's going on you know, in this particular system? Yeah, that's a yes or no question. So I answer, yes, of course. That's a transition question. That gives me the opportunity. I've earned the right to advance the sale. I ask permission. I go to the next conversation, which could be a high gain question or a targeted question. So it's important that you recognize that questioning is where you control the process. And you have to be in charge, and that has to be internalized. You have to know where you're taking the client in order to be able to guide that process through the questions. 
Now, that does not mean we're not having a conversation. In fact, that's precisely what we're doing, okay? It feels exactly like a conversation. But the reason it feels like a conversation is I'm a conscious competent, I'm in control of the process because I've internalized the questions, which allows me to do this, checking and confirming, which is another way of saying I listened to you. The purpose of the check and confirm is to demonstrate that you got it right. You actually listened. Now, I want you to write this down out there in video land. You guys need to be taking notes, okay? A lot of technicians, when I do ride-alongs with them, they do not take notes. They're mentally agile, and that's great, except it screams that you're not listening to me. When you're actually writing it down, it allows you to read it back to the client it doesn't really matter if you're able to internalize all that information or if you actually do have to write it down to remember it. What you're doing when you write it down is you're showing deferential respect to the client that I am listening to you. So when I say to you on video land, I want you to write this down and then I see in the audience nobody's writing it down, that says you don't take me seriously and that's okay. But it's a symptom of professionalism then. Right? If I say, hey, this is this important to me, it's such an important idea, it's such an important philosophy, I want you to write this down, and then you do write it down, that screams, I'm listening to you, and I'm paying attention to the idea that this is important to Gary, therefore it's important to you. So whenever we're in workshops, we're doing physical workshops, this is something worth writing down, I always pay attention to who's writing it down. And so about half the audience is writing it down, the other half is not. Invariably, the half that writes it down are the two and three million dollar sales technicians. They're always in the front, they're always asking questions, and they're always paying attention. And the reason is they care about listening to the client. When you're listening, you actually identify gaps. Those are potential solutions. So again, make yourself likable. Recognize you have an opportunity to turn a negative situation into a positive. And then as you're asking your questions, internalize the idea of high gain, targeted, and closed-ended questions. You know, we're super excited here at Contract University about our new podcast series, Unfiltered. It's me and Gary and Drew sitting around, sipping whiskey, smoking cigars, and riffing on the contracting business. I want to share with you a clip of this week's episode, which is all about putting yourself first in your business, right? You got to put that oxygen mask on first before you can help others in your business. You know, you just get to a point to where it's like you just realize how important those little things are. You just went through your health scare a few weeks ago, and Kim was just behind the lights up here. Thank God she was with you, because if you'd have been in the hotel room alone, there'd have been no more Drew. Uh, heart attack, cardiac arrest, five times under the zappers. You know, and if she hadn't have been there, I mean, you know, what? I, I, this is an aside, but that's like the worst fear that I have is to die in a hotel room alone, because I travel so much, and... You know, it happens to people. I mean, thank God she was there, and thank God you're here. But I'm sure that experience has really put perspective for you on what's important, what really matters. Yeah, it has. And, uh, you know, that part of the reason, like, you know, I ended up where I ended up, cause, purpose, allow, right, is, you know, th you know that, that blockage didn't ha happen overnight. That, that was years in the making. How many years? I don't know. But... Safe to say, probably uh, somewhere, at least probably a decade, I would think, because that was the last time I got checked out by a cardiologist, and and so not 
you know, taking care of myself because what did I do? I put others first through my business. Part of that technically is I actually put myself first because that's what I wanted to do. But it wasn't what it wasn't what or is most important. You know, Kim and my kids and her kids are, are the most important. Um, you know, but what I came to realize and what I've really been focused on for the last two years in, in my path of self-discovery, and that started before this event happened, was I got to put myself first. If I don't take care of myself uh, and I wasn't doing good enough at that, uh, then I can't take care of those others that are the most important to me. So Kim and my kids and her kids, uh, my clients. And so if I'm not the best version of me, then I can't be the best version of me for everybody else in my life, you know, downstream. And so, you know, through some, some study and uh, working with a leadership group and a couple of life coaches, I, I have a leadership coach, I have a life coach, I have a relationship coach. I, uh, I, I really, you know, kind of taken a hard look at myself these last couple of years and I've, I've really learned, and then of course learned through this process as well and through a lot of meditation and even prayer that I have to put myself first. I have to be a little selfish. I got to put my oxygen mask on first, like they say on the plane, right? Or I can't do this for everybody else. And as much as I thought I was making those right steps, um, I wasn't doing enough of them. You know, I wasn't do, you know, doing the exercise cardio as religious. I'd, get, I'd let other things get in the way. I, I'd do some workout and I'd justify that that was enough. So cause, purpose, allow, as you say. So you're, yeah, you're 100% you're right, because you're 100% responsible for the mess or success of your life, and, and no one's gonna care more than you. And so, you know, I, I guess I look at, at success, I, I, and, and through my leadership coaching, it's, it's greatness. You know, greatness has no end. There's always another level of greatness. There's always another yeah. level. I always say, Tiger's still working on his swing. Yeah. What does that tell you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like striving for better. And so this new version of me, uh, through a lot of discovery and obviously, unfortunately, a lot of pain to myself, but, you know, um, to my family and to Kim, you know, when I put her through in that hotel room. Thank God she was there, man. And uh, so I got to do the work now. I mean, I... I got to work harder, you know, and getting to enjoy a, a little bit of, you know, uh, of a spirit here and there, so be it. But, you know, cutting back, eating the right things, not indulging, doing the workouts, doing the walks. The day I got out of the hospital, you know, we went and did a walk on the beach. Why? Number one, because I needed to, but also because I still can. Yeah. And, you know, so today and every day is, you know, thinking about that and how to, how to be the best version of myself. Because if I can be the best version of myself, then I can be the best father, the best you know, uh, partner to Kim, the best business leader that I can be, the best you know, colleague to you guys. And, uh, but it all starts with me. And it ends with me. And thankfully it didn't end for me. So. Amen to that. I hope you enjoyed that clip, but if you want to check out the full episode and all the other episodes, go to egia.org slash YouTube and catch all the episodes right there. Thank you so much for watching this week. We enjoyed it here on Cracking the Code. We encourage you to go back and, and re-watch this content if you have to, to learn how to run a proper demand service call. Uh, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.